friends, please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read those verses aloud, and I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's Word. Please stand, and uh, once I've read it, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and we'll respond together. Thanks be to God. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him, that is the Lord Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Suffering is not a strange thing for Christians. It is part of life in this fallen age, and we can endure it with patience and trust in our God. Suffering is not a strange thing for Christians. It is part of life in this fallen age in which we live. And with Christ, we can endure it with patience and trust in our God. The text that we come to this morning is, is, is part of Mark's introduction to the Lord Jesus Christ. We considered in some detail the baptism of Christ last week and the ministry of John the Baptist the week before. All of this is, is introduction to who Jesus is and the mission that he had come to the earth to perform. And uh, our text this morning is part of that. The Lord Jesus Christ suffers temptation. Having been baptized, he is driven into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, 40 days, he is tempted by Satan. And Mark notes he is there with wild animals and the angels are ministering to him. Now, Christ's temptation is recorded in, in much more detail uh, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Mark records it here, but Mark is evidently not concerned with some of the specific details that Matthew and Luke record in each of their Gospels. Mark seems most concerned with the fact that the Lord Jesus suffered this temptation, that he suffered this trial. The details that Mark mentions, you know, he does not go into the specifics of what the temptation was and how Christ responded the way Matthew does, but he does mention that he's in the wilderness with the wild animals and that angels were ministering to him. Now, as is clear in all the gospel records, Christ's temptation is loaded with symbolic significance. The fact that he would spend 40 days in the wilderness enduring trial, enduring temptation, being prepared for his ministry. We, it makes us immediately think of Moses in his 40 days of preparation. It makes us think of, of Elijah and the 40 days that he went through. It makes us think of Israel and the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness and the temptation and the trial that they endured. I think at the very end of the day, though, the, 
The greatest parallel is between our Lord Jesus Christ and our first father, Adam, who was tempted by the devil and gave in to that temptation. And that was the fall that corrupted and twisted uh, all of life for us and all of the world. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ comes, as Paul calls him explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last Adam. Another head of humanity comes. And he engages with the devil. He is tempted by our adversary. But he does not give in to that temptation. He rather overcomes. We saw last week Christ our Savior taking the posture of sinners there in the water of baptism. Receiving fellowship from the Holy Spirit. The approval and acceptance of, of God the Father. And now here we see Christ, the second Adam, that long-promised seed of the woman, the descendant of our first parents, our brother who would come and would do battle with the serpent, who, whose heel would be bitten, but who in the end would crush the head of the devil. Spoken of from Genesis 3, here is Christ, the seed of the woman, come to do battle with the serpent. Unlike Adam, though, Christ comes not to a, a perfect paradise to be tempted, but rather to the wilderness. Mark mentions that twice in just these two verses and mentions specifically that the wild animals were there around him. Mark emphasizes that Christ is exposed to suffering here. Our Lord Jesus, he did not just join us symbolically, taking the posture of a human being in the fall. But he willingly made himself subject to real suffering, to real trial, to real temptation. And for that reason, there is instruction for us here in this text about suffering and about life as a child of God in a fallen world. As I said a moment ago, suffering is not a strange thing for the children of God. It is very much part of life in this age as we wait for that final day when every tear is wiped away. I, you do see that pictured here. Having identified with us, the Lord Jesus Christ is immediately thrust into trial. In Mark's narrative, there is no interval at all. And in fact, this word, immediately. As soon as Jesus Christ is identified with us, and as our Savior, he is sent out into this trial and this temptation. The scriptures are clear that the Christian life, those who follow the Lord Jesus, will likewise be subject to much trial and suffering in their lives. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul exhorts the saints that they must enter the kingdom of heaven through many tribulations. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells the church in Rome that they are heirs with Christ provided that they suffer with him. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells the church in Philippi that it's been appointed for them not only to believe in the gospel, not only to believe in the Lord Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. And the Lord Jesus himself in John chapter 16 tells his disciples that they will have tribulation uh, in this life. 
And friends, I know that I'm speaking to a lot of people. You don't have to read those passages in the scriptures to know it because your own lives bear witness to the fact that Christians are not strangers to suffering. That even though we have this great inheritance from God, even though we have been blessed with fellowship and the forgiveness of our sins and a welcome with God in heaven and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now, yet your lives, you've known suffering. I mean, I'm looking at a room full of people. Some of you have been around the sun several times at this point. And there have been some cold winters. There have been some hard seasons. There have been some periods of protracted and acute trial in your lives. Some of you have endured physical suffering. Some of you have, have battled with cancer. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. Some of you have watched loved ones go through that same struggle. And some of you have, have watched them take their last breaths. Some of you have buried spouses. Some of you have lost children. You've lost parents. You've lost friends. Some of you have lost friends not just to death, but you've lost friends to, to conflict, to, to betrayal, to unforgiven sin. You've endured all kinds of, of social suffering in that way. Some of you have gone through financial trial and difficulty that has shaped you. I'm speaking to a room full of people. I, I know enough of you here in this room to know that there is, there is not a pew here that doesn't have folks who are familiar with suffering sitting in it. Folks who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and love him and know that they are beloved to him and yet have suffered. In fact, some of you might look at this passage here, the temptation of Christ in Mark 1, verses 13, 12 and 13, and say, well, that, that does sound something like my story. I was, I was forgiven for my sin. I was received by God. I was saved, and then zip, right into trial. The wheels fell off. This passage is instructive for us in that way. Because we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not something wrong when we are enduring trial in the Christian life. There's not something going wrong because we see that Christ himself endured it. It is not something off the rails. In fact, it is the very path of discipleship often, the way of suffering and trial. This passage is instructive for us in that way. Suffering is not a strange thing for us. And it is also encouragement for us as we see our Lord Jesus endure this particular trial, this temptation. We who would follow after him, we likewise can endure suffering and trial with patience and trust in our God. I think as we look at Christ here in these two verses, there are some lessons for us to learn, particularly about suffering. And there's three lessons that I want to point out to you with the time that we have today. The first is this. It is sometimes part of God's good plan for his children to send them into seasons of suffering, even profound suffering. The second, in kindness, God himself sets the boundaries of that suffering and sustains his children through it. And then third, when we suffer, we have the personal sympathy 
of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is a fellow sufferer with us. So that's the outline that I want to follow. I want to look at those three brief lessons that I think we can see in this text. The first one, again, it is sometimes part of God's plan, his good plan for his children, to send his beloved sons and daughters into seasons of suffering, sometimes even profound suffering. In verse 12 in the text here, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him out. The Spirit sent him out into this trial. Now, the Lord God did not tempt him. James makes it very clear that God does not tempt anyone. But the Scriptures are very clear that God did move him into that place where he would be tempted. It was by the Spirit sending him. He was, he was driven out, the text says, into this time of trial and suffering and temptation. It was the will of God for Christ to suffer this trial immediately after his baptism. And friends, if we're looking at the Scriptures as a whole, we, we can see that God does often send his children into storms of various kinds. I mean, even, even in the gospel record, I mean, doesn't, and we'll see it here in a few chapters in Mark chapter 4. I mean, he sends his children into a literal storm, doesn't he? And who is the one who sends storms? Who is the one that told them to cross the sea? It was the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 27, we see the very same thing with Paul. Paul is sent into a storm. And friends, many of you have known this in your own life, that God has sent you into one storm or another. In a sense, sometimes you may even feel like you are being driven into it, the way the text says here of the Lord Jesus driven into the wilderness. I think that's an important thing for us to note, that, that sometimes it is God, part of God's good plan to send us, His beloved, into trial, into suffering. Some would deny that God ever purposes for his children to suffer. Some people would say he only allows, he only permits, he never ordains, he never purposes. But that is not what the scriptures say. It's not what we see here in Mark chapter 1. Here he sends, the Lord God sends his beloved son into suffering. And not because of his own sin. Not because Jesus was sinful. Jesus was sinless. But the Lord God sends him because it is part of his own good purposes for him. And friends, I, I think I'm speaking to a room full of people who can agree from your own experience that sometimes the Lord sends you into trial for your, for your own good and for his glory. Sometimes even substantial trial. How many of us here have known suffering to be part of God's good purposes in our own lives? God's good purposes in salvation. I mean, how many of you, the days surrounding that time when you threw yourself for mercy on the Lord Jesus Christ were days of trial and suffering? Days with tears in your eyes. He used the, the waves to, to press you against the rock that is Christ. And since then, I mean, for how many of us have, have trials been a substantial means of sanctification for us? 
a means of teaching us the truth about ourselves, teaching us the truth about His providence, shaping us and maturing us and humbling us. I mean, that is, that is my own testimony before you all. I mean, the way that God has used trials and suffering in my life is far, far above and beyond any other means in teaching me and maturing me and shaping me. You know, I, can, I can say earnestly with Samuel Rutherford, what, what a debt I owe to the hammer and the file and the furnace of my Lord. He knows how to work in the human heart. He knows how to teach lessons to forgetful people. He knows how to, how to carve the edges, the sharp places off of our souls. He knows how to plow deep furrows in our hearts so that we produce a crop, fruitfulness. He knows how to prune and tend his people. And all friends, pruning is not comfortable, it's painful. But that is the good work that he does. Many of the lessons that I have learned in the Christian life as a disciple myself, they, they could not be simply taught to me. Whether I am so hard, hard-headed, I don't know. But they, must have, they had to have been lived in order for me to learn it. They must have been walked through. And many of you I know can say the same thing. Some of the lessons he's taught, they had to be walked through with tears. They had to be walked through with cries calling out to him for mercy. And some of you can testify, oh, how he's used that in your lives. How, oh, like at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the, the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted, we have comforted you. What I have endured, oh, how God has used that to be a blessing not only to me, but to others. Clearly, our suffering is often part of God's good purposes for us. Now, you all know very well, the specific how is not always known by us. We do not know how specifically He is using these trials and this suffering for His good in our lives. You remember, Job did not know. know, We, reading the book of Job, we know exactly what's going on. But Job didn't know. And God didn't turn around and say, well, Job, I have this deal with, I, have, I mean, Satan and I have this like arrangement going on. No. He doesn't tell Job exactly what's going on. He calls Job to trust him and to submit to him. And so it is with us. We don't know exactly why this particular trial, we don't know what lesson is being taught here or how this is good, but we do know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, don't we? We do know what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says in verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do know But James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We do know what 1 Peter chapter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is the Lord teaching me patience in my trials right now? Is the Lord teaching me humility? I do not know. But I do know that He is accomplishing His good purposes. I do know that He is taking my eyes off of myself and setting them on Him. I do know that He is teaching me to wait on Him and trust in Him. I do know that He is working these things for my good and for His glory. The Scriptures are crystal clear about that. And so... As Peter says later in 1 Peter, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Friends, I think probably if I were in the Lord Jesus' place there at that baptism, and the Holy Spirit rested on me, and the Father said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately I was taken out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil and surrounded by wild animals. I would say, wait a second. What is going on? I thought you said I was beloved to you. I thought you said you were pleased with me. Right? Well, it wasn't a misunderstanding. God the Father is pleased with the Son. And in his good pleasure, he sends him into substantial trial. And that's the point that Peter's making here. Don't be surprised, friends. Don't be shocked when the God who loves you sends from his own hands trial into your life. It is for good purpose that he's doing so. Remember the Lord Jesus and the path that he walked as you walk after him. Peter says in verse 19 of the same chapter, chapter 4, Therefore let us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You who are suffering, entrust your soul to him. He who ordains your steps before you. Friends, God has good purposes for the trials that he sends. The trials he sends personally in our lives, the trials that he sends upon our families. Some of you know what it is for your family to be going through a season of trial. Where you feel like everything is suddenly falling apart. You feel like you're in the center of a whirlwind. You start to dread what's going to happen next when the next phone call comes. It's God has good purposes when he sends our church, our church family into trials. When the church goes through seasons of difficulty, seasons of suffering. Seasons of pain, as we sometimes do. God has good purposes in these things. It is not something strange happening to us. It's not that something's going wrong and we're off the rails. And in the universal church, in his, the lives of his people together in human history, he has good purposes in the trials that he allows his bride to endure. It is sometimes part of his good plan for his children to send us into seasons of suffering. Now, one very practical application I want to make about, about this before we move on to the next point. When we pray for one another in trials, I mean, during the course of the week here in the church, I mean, we, a lot of us, we're in, we're in com 
community one way or another uh, in our, our small group Bible studies or at prayer meetings. We're sharing our needs with one another and things going on in our lives. When we pray for one another in trials, do not simply pray for relief from the trial. I think it is right and biblical to pray for relief from the trial. You see that in the New Testament. Paul, Paul prays that people be well who are sick. It's right to pray that way. But as we pray for relief from the trial, also pray that the, the medicine would be effective in the soul. That God would accomplish the work in the soul for which he has sent the trial. When someone is suffering physically, when someone is going through uh, difficulty and trial in their family, when there's need, pray that God would bring relief, but pray that he would use that trial for their sanctification and for their good, for the spiritual benefit of the soul of the church. Recognizing that this is not something strange going on, but it has come from the hand of God and it is for our good. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you, the first thing is that it is sometimes God's good, part of his good purposes for his people that he send us into trial. The second thing is that God in his mercy sets the boundaries of our suffering and he sustains his children through it. He sets the boundaries of our suffering. By, by that I mean he decides how far it's going to go and no further. You see here in our text in, in verse 13, and he, the Lord Jesus, was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. I've already mentioned to you that 40 days is a significant amount of time. It was God who decided that Christ would be in the wilderness 40 days. It wasn't that the devil ran out of gas after 40 days. It wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't just a coincidence. The God who, who appoints the end from the beginning was the God who sent Christ out into that trial that was chosen by him. It was not by accident. And you see this again and again and again throughout the scriptures, that when God sends his people into seasons of trial, he has very clear parameters set up around it. The wilderness generation was to spend 40 years the, in the wilderness. The, the exile was to last for a specific amount of time. And really, you think about it, all suffering is that way. From the day our first parents fell in sin. And pain and death and sorrow entered the world. God knew the day that he would put an end to it, didn't he? We have not come up on that boundary yet, but it is there. There will be a day when there is no more sorrow and suffering. And so it is with us in our trials. God himself has set the boundaries of our suffering. As it was with Job. Right? God told the devil how far he could go and no further. The devil, oddly enough, was a servant of the Lord in that way. This is why Martin Luther referred to him as God's devil. He was on a leash. And all of our suffering, all of our trials are on a leash in that way. Sometimes they feel like they go on forever. But they do not. The Lord God himself knows how to apply pressure to us and relieve that pressure for our good. Sometimes his hand feels very, very heavy. I know that many of you all know that very well. Sometimes unbearably heavy. But he knows when to remove that pressure for the good of our souls. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, well, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 
10. Let me, let me read it to you. This is what, what Paul is alluding to when he says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The same Paul who says they are pressed but not crushed. Suffering greatly but not destroyed. Stumbling but not falling headlong because the Lord is preserving them. Like the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter in, in reference to Lot, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. And again, I know many of you can testify the very same thing in your own lives. You have been in seasons where you thought, this is so great, I do not think I can bear this anymore. And yet, in God's timing, relief came. And here you sit today. Many of you all know, you know me well enough, you've known me for years. Some of you, I've only been here with you at Grace Church for a couple of years. Some of you were at All Nations Church. It's been almost 10 years that we've been together. There have been times in my life when Circumstances were such, the trial was such that, that I thought that I could not go on. In fact, I know because some of you have struggled in the same way, I, I mean, I'll be, be very straightforward with you. There, there have been times when the, the thought of taking my own life seemed appealing because there was the desire for relief from the trial was so great. And yet the time came when there was relief Relief from the hand of the Lord. The feeling, this is going to go on forever and I cannot live like this. It did not last forever. When the Lord Jesus went out in the wilderness, he did not stay out there forever. It was 40 days. There was an end set. And friends, it is the same way with all of our trials. That is always the case. Even a trial that might last a lifetime is not going to last forever. You see what I'm saying? Some of you have lost spouses. You've lost, you've lost somebody who was part of you. And that wound is not ever going to be fully healed until you stand in the presence of Christ who made you. Right? That trial in human terms is going to probably go the rest of your life in some sense. But it is not going to go forever. There is no trial. There is no suffering that goes beyond the resurrection. And friends, part of our faith in Christ is believing that. Believing that this too is going to come to an end. This trial, this suffering, this temptation, this pain that I feel, this is not going to last forever. Maybe it'll last 40 days. Maybe it'll last 40 years. Maybe it'll last longer than my flesh can last, but it will not go further than that. Because when I awaken in the presence of my Lord and I am satisfied with His likeness, there will be no more suffering for me. We must believe that. That's what He said. Now, relief will come and faith waits for Him to bring it. I think a lot of you all know so much of our sin is about trying to get relief now in my own way and not waiting for Him. You know, whether it's substances like dangerous substances like alcohol or brownies. Right? 
or whether it's all kinds of things that I make idols out of. It's about me trying to get relief. But faith says, Lord, you'll bring relief in your own time. I will wait for you. And friends, he does sustain us through our trials as well. I think we also see this depicted in the text here in Mark chapter 1 and verse 13. He was tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Mark doesn't say much about what's going on, but he does say this. The Lord God had provided servants for the Lord Jesus to sustain him and to keep him through his trial, through this temptation. Angels were ministering to him. We know from Hebrews chapter 1, angels are servants of of God sent to minister for the sake of his people. And these angels evidently had been sent to the Lord Jesus not to deliver him from the trial, but to sustain him through it. They did not come and do a a tactical angelic extraction and pull him out of suffering. But they were there caring for him in the midst of his suffering. The God who sets the boundaries of our suffering also sustains us through it. And again, this is always the case in the scriptures. The God who who puts his people in the wilderness for 40 years, he also gives them manna and water, doesn't he? And leads them himself. The God who calls Elijah out into the wilderness, he feeds him with ravens, doesn't he? On and on and on. For Paul, there are manifold trials in his life. Paul makes this, these lists. I mean, it is physical, it is emotional, it is psychological. All the stuff that Paul is going through, all these trials. And yet, as Paul writes about these things, over and over again, he makes reference to the sweet ministry he received from other Christians. Barnabas being there. Luke being there. Epaphras being there. Even John Mark. Those saints that are precious to him. Those saints that are like a breath of fresh air. He writes to the Corinthians, I couldn't, I couldn't rest because Titus wasn't there. Right. There were those that were the source of refreshment and delight in Paul's life, even as he is enduring all kinds of trial and suffering. There were angels ministering to him in that regard, metaphorically speaking. And friends, that is the case with us as well. The Lord God who who in his good purposes sometimes sends us into trial, the Lord God who in his mercy sets the parameters of our trial and the boundaries, he keeps us in the midst of it, and he often keeps us by the ministry of the brothers and sisters around us, doesn't he? I mean, many of you can testify what it is to receive a phone call, to receive a card in the mail, to receive a visit in the midst of a trial, to receive a a casserole (laughs) that shows up at your house, that somebody would remember what you're going through, that somebody would care. I'll tell you this, this, this may sound silly. In, in, one of the, in one of the darkest times of discouragement and depression that I had in my own life, one of the men in the church gave me a pocket knife. He noticed that I, I, he, we joked around because he had a nice pocket knife and I had a not so nice one. <laughs> and we joked about it. And... One day in the mail, this, uh, this pocket knife showed up. I knew who it was from. Right. And I, I, was, I was going through, in my own head, I was going through this a really dark time. And this brother remembered me, and he loved me, and he reached out to me in this very simple way. And it was a means of sustaining me. 
How many times has that happened in my life, friends? How many times have I been in the midst of a trial and a brother or sister has been like an angel to me, sustaining me and holding me up in the midst of it? And that has been the grace of God. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's something simple, a text message, a pocket knife. Other times it is something profound. I mean, some of, some of you all, some of you in this room have been with me in times of acute trial and suffering when I did not think I could carry on. And you have helped me. Some of you have been on the receiving end of that kind of ministry as well. God knows what he's doing. He knows where to send the ravens. He knows how to give manna. He knows how to sustain those who are in the midst of the trials that he himself has set the boundaries of. So friends, my encouragement to you in that regard, a practical application as you are enduring trial, it's very natural for us to be looking for relief. I want to I see the end of it. When is this going to end? When am I going to be out of this? Keep your eyes open for angels as well, if you know what I mean. If God has not brought the end of it yet, he will surely be sending you help and relief. Be looking for that relief. Be looking for the hand of God. So far too often we're saying, oh God, this situation, I cannot deal with this any longer. When are you going to deliver me? And the time has not yet come for deliverance. Oh, but he is sending care. He's sending mercy. He's sending individuals. He's sending providence. He's got angels ministering to you. Keep your eyes open for the love of God expressed in those ways. Because he does love you. Now, with that being said, I'm, I'm going to move on to the last point now and we'll this is a simple one, and it connects to the table, so we'll go through it rapidly here. The last lesson that I think we can learn from this text, and this is an implicit one, is that in suffering, we have the personal sympathy of God himself. Mark's point in noting this temptation is clearly not the details of the temptation. He doesn't even note them at all, but the fact that Jesus Christ himself was tempted. He entered into temptation. He entered into this suffering and trial on our behalf. And the book of Hebrews, the text that I read at the beginning of the service, makes one application of that reality explicitly clear. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read these words in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ entered into temptation so that we would have a Savior who had been tempted. Him without sin. But so that we would have the comfort of knowing that our Lord can sympathize with us in our weakness. The Lord Jesus did not enter into temptation. He did not enter into this trial. God did not send him so that he would learn an important lesson that he did not know already. It's not like there was information that was not accessible to Jesus Christ apart from his experience. It was rather that he would be a perfect Savior in the sense that we would know exactly who he is. One who is sympathetic with us and looks on us with compassion. It is for our sake that he endured this trial to strengthen our faith so that we can look to him with confidence knowing that he knows. 
I think some of you probably, you've had the experience in your life where you have gone through a trial of some kind. Either the loss of a child. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've, you've struggled through cancer. And you meet someone who has gone through exactly the same kind of suffering. You meet someone who's gone through exactly the same kind of trial. And you know the, the kinship that you have with a soul like that. You know exactly what I mean. I struggle to explain it over here, but I don't have to explain it to you. You know. There is an ease of connection in that regard because the person can sympathize. Part of the point here is that the Lord Jesus Christ has put himself in that position for us. Do you suffer? Are you weak? Are you tempted? Do you go through trial? Oh, he knows. He knows. He willingly endured the very same thing himself so that you would have a Savior who knows. Who has a heart that feels it. Just like you yourself feel it. For you who endure suffering, you have the personal sympathy of Christ himself. So let me, let me close by saying this. Are you in trial today? Are you in suffering? I am sure that many of you are. In fact, I know specifically how some of you are. Remember, friends, that that is not something strange happening to you. It's not that something has gone wrong, but it is part of God's good purposes to allow His children to suffer sometimes. He does so for, his good, for our good and for His glory. Remember also, that it will end soon enough. That he has set the boundaries of it and it will not go on forever. And until then, until it does end, you will surely have his provision and his care through the midst of it. He will make sure that there are angels to bear you up. And more so than that even, you have him as your companion in the midst of it. You have his sympathy, you have his understanding. You have his tenderness so that we can, as Hebrews, 3, Hebrews 4 says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Suffering is not a strange thing for Christians. It is part of life in this fallen age. But we can endure it with patience and trust in our God. Now, with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the table. The elders are going to come in just a moment and minister the elements to us. But friends, right here on this table, there is a, a symbol of what Christ suffered. He suffered much more than just 40 days being tempted, didn't he? He went beyond. That wasn't the end of it. He went beyond. He was counted among sinners. He gave his own life for sinners at the cross. He suffered not just temptation. He suffered condemnation. He suffered death. He suffered the very judgment of God. He poured out his blood and his body was broken for us in order that we might live. That's what this table is about. So let's pray together and then the elders will come forward. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the kindness that you've shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring temptation and yet without sin. Thank you for being our companion, even in our suffering and trial. We pray that you would help us to receive these good gifts, this sacrament, as a means of grace.
And we pray this, Christ, in your name. Amen.